today is my last official work commitment um, and that's two weeks out of me having a baby, which I have never done before. I've always worked up until the day I have a baby. Today I'm talking to Anna Lay, founder and the driving force behind ingestible beauty brand Vida Glow. And um, we are speaking with a significant time gap, obviously, because you are in Australia, I'm in England. So I was, I was just saying before we press record that I've just finished probably the most intense hour of the day of trying to get three kids out the door, but you've just finished bedtime. So Yeah, and I had to get them down early. I've got a three-year-old, a four-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, so I started the bedtime at six tonight so that they could definitely all be asleep by 7.30 and I did it. I feel like I've achieved a lot tonight. That's great effort. <laughs> well, often when they get a sense that you definitely want them to be asleep is when they just go the opposite way, isn't it? Exactly. So we're here to talk about your other baby, Vida Glow. Give me the elevator pitch for the brand, why it exists, how it came to exist. Oh, my God, I just heard one of my kids, and so I just messaged my husband saying, I can hear Teddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, (laughs) the elevator pitch. Okay, so I guess really I created Vida Glow on a whim because I had discovered marine collagen overseas and saw such transformative, incredible results from my personal experience of taking a collagen supplement, uh, you know, the, almost 11 years ago now. But what what the brand is today is really trying to create very credible science-backed ingestible supplements that solve, you know, beauty concerns like hair loss, acne, um, weak nails, pigmentation um, at the root cause of the concern as opposed to superficially, for example, you know, the top layer of the skin. And like quite simply, Vita Glow is my passion. I love what I do and everything from the brand's beginnings to its philosophy and the scientific innovation. And I think that that's the real difference with what we're trying to do as a team is really reflect on that real results and have it backed by scientific evidence. And, you know, it was my introduction to collagen like I said and ingestible beauty really and the results that I got specifically for hair loss at the time um, that was the inspiration behind starting this brand and and I invested so much into the research because now I feel like collagen is a bit of a is a commodity everybody knows what it is it's everywhere whereas you know, not 10 years ago when I first started conceptualizing this idea it wasn't the beauty buzzword that it is today and I discovered over 30 years of clinical trials of the benefits of collagen supplementation outside of hair, skin and nails. Um, And really, I think it was that clinical data that made even me believe that actually this is not a placebo. This stuff I'm taking is really working. And I knew that I had to share it. And what did you do beforehand? What was your career up until that point? And was beauty, was the beauty industry a sidestep or was it now you look at it a natural progression? I did international and global studies at the University of Sydney and I majored in political economy and international um, business. And so I didn't have a science background. I did really well at school. I was like a typical migrant child that had to overachieve. Um, And I wasn't, but I've always been a huge beauty lover. I was born in Brazil. My parents are Brazilian and I think, you know, that Brazilian culture has, even though I've been in Australia since I was six, has really rubbed off on me from my mum and that love I've always had every beauty product that I could afford to have you know I when I was 13 I asked my parents they probably couldn't have afforded it at the time but to buy me the little 
Coco Chanel perfume. Um, so I, at, at 13, it's still the only perfume I've ever worn. Um, and I think that love of beauty came from what a lot of women's, I suppose, do come from like watching their mother there get ready and, and, and my mum still to this day, like if I leave the house with a chipped nail polish, she still rouses on me. So I think that that's where it came from. But then what I wanted to do, like, as a young child was, or as a teenager, what I thought I wanted to do was midwifery, which maybe explains why I have so many children now. But at the time in Australia, you had to do nursing. There was no midwifery degree. And I kind of looked at my subjects of year 11 and 12 and the end of high school and what I excelled in was writing and speaking. And I always knew I wanted to work overseas or for an international company. And I did an in, a few internships for international companies and I guess that's why I went into that international business, global studies. And I don't I don't know, I, I, my first job out of uni was working um, in the rag trade actually in licensing for Disney and putting, you know, um, characters on pyjamas and selling them to mass retailers like, for example, I mean it's called Big W and Target here, but there would be like Marks and Spencers, for example. Um, and then I had discovered collagen um, overseas in Japan and it was those results of me taking the products all the time that was kind of like the aha moment of what am I taking? There was nothing like it in Sydney or in Australia that I could see at the time. And that started about a nine-month project of, of researching and that was where the idea of starting Vita Glow. Vita means life in Portuguese and I was born in Brazil so I felt like it did give me like a life glow. I mean it sounds kind of cheesy now but and in the beginning it was just me and my then um, boyfriend who's now my husband um, and we I got the girl who um, Amy who who did our designs for Disney on on the rag tray that I was working with to design our first packaging and help me with all. And I wrote every single thing on the website. I started the Instagram account. We did everything ourselves, the two of us. And we used, Amy and I used to stay back after work and order Thai food and nick the boss's bottle of wine and, and do the designs. I cringe at those designs now, but um, I'll probably have them framed one day, Clemmie. <laughs> yeah, but you're, how old were you when all this was going on? 23, 24. Yeah. Do you look back and just think, I often look at my the things I did at 23, 24, that kind of age where you you just, you've got this wonderful naivety and just self-belief that anything is possible, which, which it is, but you just kind of go for stuff, don't you? You do. And you, you don't really think as much about what if I fail, I guess. Like now I would think that a lot more. When you're not responsible for anybody else, which ultimately you're not at that age, there's not so much of a gamble, is there? You know, you're not weighed down, yeah, weighed down by responsibility. But yeah, and it, it's kind of a bit where you've, it's quite a special age because you're an adult, but you've still got some of that youthfulness where you're just like, oh, well, why not go all in? Tell me about how your day-to-day -day now, what that looks like, and especially in comparison to your day-to-day back in the early 20s? Oh, look, it's really completely changed because, you know, when we started, I mean, I worked I worked a full-time job for two years whilst we were conceptualising what Vita Glow would look like, Kieran and I, and um, we would do everything ourselves and, I and then I worked from home by myself for about a year. That was May 2015 and then... 
about 18 months after that, we got our first office and I still remember hiring our first staff member. Her name is Claire and she still works for us today. And like Googling, you know, what do you ask in an interview? I really, we, you know, didn't know all of these things. And so we got this tiny office in Darlinghurst um, and we hired probably five or six staff in the Darlinghurst office. And then and then we stayed there for about 18 months and then we moved to our Alexandria office. Because now we've got 65 people working in Sydney. We sell into 50 different countries. We have a really specialised team across quality, innovation, technical um, research and, uh, you know, R&D. We've got, you know, in-house scientists, marketing, creative, sales, finance, people and culture. So, and and obviously now I have three toddlers with a fourth on the way. So my role has evolved so much from those early days of actually looking for suppliers and manufacturers and doing those trips to um, Kobe where we first hydrolyzed our collagen. Now it's done in France um, and, you know, writing everything, doing all the customer service. And I'm really, really glad that I did all of that in the beginning, even though it was such hard work and even in 2017 when I had my first baby, you know, just the sheer amount of work that I did because we didn't have the resources and, and Kieran, my husband, had to keep working for his full-time job so that we could stay afloat um, for lo- much longer than what I had to. But now the role is very different. You know, I'm the founder of Vita Glow. I'm very much the spos- spokesperson and the face and I do. Last year we spent about f- five months overseas Um, we have a very global business now and so all of the you know anything to do with media product training innovation that's really my what I love and to be representing the brand but all of the behind the scenes in terms of like the creative direction and the marketing and the sales teams and the people that deal with retailers and finance logistics all of that we have a team that are obviously a lot more specialized and much better Um, I got back from London in in November and all of those small trips that business trips that I do because Sydney is so far away tend to be two to two and a half weeks and we don't take the kids with us on those trips and so that they can stay in their routine my mum and dad and my sister move in um, and so I did so many of those last year and at the end of November when I came back I thought you know there's only a few weeks left of the kids going to school so I want to make sure that I scale back and I'm doing the drop-offs and the pickups and and I'm spending the school holidays with them. And now with another baby, I will try and, and take about three months off before June where we will go back and do a full, um, you know, press junket in London again. And I once when I'm breastfeeding, I do take the, kid, the, the baby with me and I always have. I mean, I look back at stuff that I did, um, like when Henry was, you know, three weeks old, I flew to China and took him with me, just madness. But when it's your own business, I suppose there isn't, the boundaries that I would put on for my staff, like I would never let any of the team at Vita Glow do any of that and we have a great maternity leave package and great support because, you know, we're 93% women who we hire in our business. But when it's your own business and there aren't many boundaries. So it's, I would say now it's probably easier for me um, now than it ever has been because of the resources, the human resources that we have and how we've, and, and building a team is, the hardest part. It's the most rewarding part of, of having a business, but it is also the hardest part. Couple of questions for you there about the um, boundaries. How So how will this new baby that you have, how will that shape up differently to the other ones? What, what boundaries are you able to put in now, if any? Well, 
Yeah, well, with the first two, there really were no boundaries. I mean, I went back to work pretty quickly. I mean, with with my second, it was wild because we had just launched into China, which is our biggest market now. And, you know, I left the hospital and went to birth, death and marriages so I could expedite his birth certificate so that I could get his passport so that I could go. Um, Like it was just... I mean, I don't even really remember it. It was I can't believe I did that. But with B, my daughter, that was really, I thought that that would be the time where, you know, we had a really great team and that would be the time that I could actually properly enjoy post, postpartum because it's postpartum is beautiful but it's brutal, as you know. But obviously COVID, she was born in February and COVID hit in March and that was a really scary time I mean I think for most business owners you know we didn't know and I I mean I'm sure you heard our lockdowns were so extreme in Australia and we had just you know finished our beautiful new office and so I just and I had a a newborn a one-year-old and a two-year-old at home trying to manage you know 40 to 50 people with my husband also working from home um, in lockdown and so I that was a quite a almost more traumatic <laughs> postpartum experience because the stress of the unknown of the pandemic for so many business owners and and the sense of responsibility that you have for your team that making sure that everybody's still hired that nobody's getting a pay cut that people are you know they're paying they're able to pay their mortgages and so that though that was quite a, a stressful time for us so this time I'm looking forward to it so much for, for different reasons I have quite complicated births I've had three cesareans and two of them were under a general anesthetic so this is going to be my first birth I've got the okay from the hematologist where I will actually be awake and be able to hold one of my four babies once they're born and I've had I've done hypnobirthing for cesarean course already and I've spoken to my anaesthetist and my obstetrician and my hematologist about wanting to get skin on skin straight away and then also I've I've had I've got help at home and I've got the team and I'm I'm really hoping to be able to Kieran's going to take some um paternal leave as well so that he can be at home with me so that he can you know do the drop offs with the other three kids and I'm actually like it almost makes me well up how excited I am to be able to really enjoy this baby and probably will be my last baby um, in a very different way and having the support. I mean, I do just have the most wonderful team um, and it's it's very exciting for me. And I will, I mean, I am travelling to London with a three-month-old, but I have already, like for example, today is my last um, official work commitment um, and that's two weeks out of me having a baby, which I have never done before. I've always worked up until the day I have a baby. So even the fact that I can wake up tomorrow and I've got a massage booked in as opposed to, you know, is is something that I've been able to cultivate over the last 10 years as a, as a business owner in that really delicate time of fertility and motherhood and, you know, everything that goes with that. Oh, I'm excited for you. It's 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 tough, but you know what's coming and you know how amazing. It's interesting to hear you building a team and how that scales a business, but at the end of the day, so much of this comes back to how it impacts your personal life and if the if the business you've built now can show up for you and your family in a very acute moment, then that that's gonna be really special, isn't it? It is. And um, because we have so many women in our business, so many of them are, are in that motherhood journey. Like even at Christmas, we have all the Vita, what we call the Vita Glow kids come into the office, and and I feel like everyone's been on this journey with me. You know, like I mean, 
between my my daughter and this baby, I've had four miscarriages. And so, you know, just having those really open conversations with the team and 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 I think motherhood and fertility and the journey that women go through is 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 so profound, you know. And for us to to do it whilst we're trying to build careers or businesses is is women are amazing, really, aren't we? <laughs> um, and and it is it's a beautiful thing to have to be, to have been able to cultivate um, with 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 Vita Glow. Uh, yeah, I feel really moved for you. And it's so funny the things you say about, for example, going to the passport office. I've got a um, clip of, of me breastfeeding my daughter, who's my third, on a on a panel at Instagram. And I look back and I was like, what were you thinking? Yeah. But- I, know. <laughs> I know. I do that all the time. I'm like, what was I thinking? I left my first at nine weeks and went to his – I mean – he was at home with my mum, but I spent all day away from him for three days and he was, maybe he was eight weeks old and I was every couple of hours going to the disabled toilet with my Medela breast pump and, you know, the ones that are like zzz, 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 and like people knocking on the door because they needed to wee but I just actually needed to pump and I'm like, what was I doing? <laughs> like, I can't believe I did those things but you, you do and you, I don't know, I feel like at the time there's, yeah, there isn't the benefit of hindsight, you know? No, and it's not to say it's wrong and, you know, it, all of it worked in the way that it works. But I think there's also something that doesn't get talked about a lot. People talk about um, this thing that parenting does in, in, in men in unleashing this kind of wanting to provide. But my kids also superpowered my career. There's something that happened where it's just like, right, now I've got a reason, now I've got a purpose. Yeah, and so I I did all the things and carried on trying to push forward, but it, so much of it was with them and our family in mind, but ironically, often that meant, yeah, not being with the family. Not easy, it's not easy. Uh, my next question was gonna be sacrifice, but it's, I'd, I'd I don't think it I don't think any of this is sacrifice is it it's just about trying to find the balance or is it sacrifice I mean I don't know I feel like balance is bullshit I don't know how many people have the perfect balance if I look back on everything I've done I think I have sacrificed a lot you know like I have sacrificed a lot of time away from my kids I've sacrificed pushing myself to the absolute limit but at the same time it wasn't like you know, when it's your own business, you take on all the risk. It's not like there's another choice. Like I can't go and get another job, you know, and I have all of these people that rely on me for their livelihood and that's a huge sense of responsibility. It's taught me so much, you know, like in the beginning I was so impressionable and then, you know, there's that phase where you take everything so personally every time someone leaves or, you know, every time something goes wrong or because for every success there's 10 failures that people don't see behind the scenes. And so I do feel like the separation between myself and my personal life and my work hasn't really existed. And so you ride those highs and those lows profoundly and when I had my first baby for example like after that incident where I went to um the conference and I was pumping in the toilets and um you know I kind of had a bit of a hissy fit after that and I felt ridden with guilt and my mum had to give him a bottle because I hadn't left enough um expressed milk 
like kind of, you know, as a first-time mum and I felt really awful about that, which is ridiculous now, like as if it mattered. But at the time I did and I was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm taking time off and I had a meltdown and and then I took some time off, which was, wasn't long. It was maybe like five weeks. And, you know, and then I kind of had an identity crisis because it was like these decisions were getting made in the business and new people that we had just hired in senior roles and they were all told by me and by my husband to keep me out of it because I was on maternity leave. But then actually when all these things are happening and you're not involved in those conversations, that kind of felt personal as well. So it it's a weird thing where you you sacrifice so much but then if you love what you do and you live and breathe what you do to the extent that I do, I think – it's really tricky to get it right. Now, you know, it's 10 years of experience. I feel like I'm in a good point where, you know, I'm not in the office from 8 a.m. till 6 p.m. Monday to Friday. You know, I do have that level of flexibility. I am away from my children, at, you know, between two and two and a half weeks at a time when I'm doing trips overseas and I choose not to take them because I don't want them to be in a hotel room with a nanny for two weeks. You know, I'd rather than be in their routine with school with my parents sleeping and but, you know, like I've missed birthday parties or, you know, I've, I get emails from the teachers who are just being really sweet about something they've done and it's kind of like a, you know, a dagger to the heart and and so – I don't know if anyone really gets it right, but all I know is that a lot of us are working mothers and stay-at-home mothers, it's even harder <laughs> because on those weeks that I'm like, no, I'm just going to stay at home all the whole week, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like you loved blueberries yesterday. Why are they making you gag today? You know, like so I don't know if it's I – don't, I don't know if it's ever – I feel like it's all a bit of a sacrifice. I don't know if it's ever balanced. I don't, I don't know if I've ever yet felt – truly balanced. I mean, have you? No, I think it's really important to say that. I think that's the real lie that that anyone might have been sold by anything, particularly that you've seen on social media, that everyone's having it all. They're not. At any given point, the when you're juggling many, many balls, it's. I heard that quote, you have to work out which ball can be dropped and won't shatter and which ball might be dropped and just bounce. And that's it. And, you know, when I'm being a good mum and a, you know, a good business owner, I'm probably being a less good wife and a less good friend and maybe not eating exactly. that well. So... Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, I think it, no, no, I haven't got it right. There are times when I, I definitely think you're reminded that I'm getting it when, when the balance sways too far. And, you know, there's a, especially with the yeah. kids, there's a major dropped ball, not, not major, but major if you suffer from any kind of mum guilt. And then you just try and revise it, don't you? Yeah, exactly. That's, and, and that makes you feel better. So, I mean, and sometimes you just feel like you're doing a mediocre job at everything, you know, <laughs> as a wife, as a mum, as at work. Sometimes you just feel like it's overall shit. But then those phases pass and and then they get worse again. But I, I think that I've stopped trying to strive for balance. I think we're all just trying our best, you know, and you can't put 
Like I'm never going to be someone that wakes up at 5, well, I mean not for the foreseeable future anyway, I'm never say never, but wakes up at 5 a.m. and meditates for 20 minutes and then does a workout before my kids get to bed. Like I just don't get enough sleep for that to ever be a reality, you know. Like I just pray that they sleep in till 7 a.m. and I also get some sleep in between the waking up several times a night that I have to do Um, and like wake up and my first thing that I do is have a coffee, you know, like I'm not – and I don't even have those expectations of myself, you know. I'm not journaling every day. I'm not having those meditations. I'm not – like I'm just doing the best that I can, like, for example, scheduling in a massage tomorrow morning, you know, like there – and it's just those little wins that you – you have to take and, and be grateful for and know that you can't have it all and certainly not all at the same time and you can't do it all and, yeah, you, you need help. You need you need help from other people. And for me that's, you know, I have a nanny, I have my mum, I have my husband Like and, and realising that that's, that's, what, that's what makes it work. That, that's the quote, unquote, in, you know, balance. In fact, you mentioned earlier that you felt one of the hardest things or most challenging parts of running a business was growing your team. Tell me a bit more about that. Well, I think that, you know, there's a lot of businesses that say that you have to put the customer first. And I tend to disagree with that. And I think you have to put the team first because the team are the foundation of your business. They're the people that are working behind the scenes. They're the people that are making the wheels turn. They're the people that are you know that's what that's what your business is built on and so building a team with so many different personalities so many people's strengths and weaknesses so many conflicts which naturally happen in all workplaces is a very very challenging thing to do and for me creating a healthy culture within a business is super important Kieran and I both have an open door policy where we want our team to feel like they can come to us and talk to us at all times, which is good and it's bad. And I have had mixed feedback um, from other business owners or business founders about that. And and I we take that policy even with, you know, our nannies at home or, you know, our, our housekeeper at home. And some people are like, oh, you get let them get too close and they're too much part of your family and those kinds of things. And there is an element of truth to just how we are. I mean, Kieran's a CEO of the company, but if he's having a tough conversation with, you know, some of the staff members that have been there the longest, he has been known to tear up. And it's very difficult to separate the relationship between yourself and the people that you know are working so hard um, to make this business, which is, which is your, you know, your dream come true. But then sometimes you have to make business decisions and that is very difficult when you've established relationships with people. And so I think, you know, learning to hire slow and fire fast, learning what the level of boundary is and how you can trust that person and how close you let people get and and how you can support people and everyone's because everyone's got their own stuff going on. You know, people are going through fertility or they're going through divorce or they're going through their own life stuff that you're going through. But you want them to be happy when they come into work and you want them to like what they do. So it's incredibly challenging. But if you can invest in people and invest in 
trying to get it right and you're not always going to get it right I mean we have a, a people and culture team in our in in our team now and I'm, I, I bow down <laughs> to them because they have it so much harder because that's all they do all day but it's it's a very difficult thing but if you can if you can get people motivated, if you can get people enthusiastic, if you can get people behind the dream, if you can get people to come in every day and love what they do um, and and be happy to be there most of the time, nobody's happy all the time, it's not all rosy, but uh, it makes such a huge difference to people's outputs, you know, having offering flexibility, you know, offering options for people understanding that you know sometimes if someone's daycare calls sick that they have to go or they they've got a school concert that they only found out about you know two days ago that they need to be there like those kinds of adding some humanity into the workforce is really important and I think that probably the bigger your team is the harder it is to do um but it's so important and the vibe of the office and I think that's something that we've lost so much in in the pandemic years where everyone's, you know, on Zoom and behind the screens and we've lost a little bit of our humanity and getting people, like we're back into the office four days a week now and it's all those incidental moments. It's like, did you see um, so-and-so's acceptance speech at the BAFTA or did you watch, you know, Kim Kardashian's um, Saturday Night Live clip or like those little interactions that you have that keep you connected um, is so important and it's a really – for me, and I, I can speak on behalf of Kieran as well, is, is definitely the hardest part of our business is, is making sure that we're getting the team, the human resources part right. And I can't, I can't express enough how much I think it's important as business owners and business founders to, to do that. Yeah, and you're so right about the um, in the office thing. It's really difficult. Of course, we under, all understand the benefit of flexible working, but it, there was a time when it just became it, if you don't interact with humans, it is just work, and you're just you yeah. know plugging away doing your thing. And I I always think, especially for people at the beginning of their careers, like my early days at work was so fun you know before you before I had kids before I made some lifelong friends and yeah and actually those connections you make in that early bit of your career often become your network later on and it must have been really hard for the the, the people yeah starting out in the pandemic so hard and and also like you know emails can get so misunderstood you can send someone an email and it can, you know, it can unravel or you can just walk over to their desk and be like, hey, I was thinking, what about this? And it's interpreted in a completely different way. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's important for us not to lose that hum- the human connection piece. And I think that's why I'm a big advocate of people being back in the office and, and, and being able to enjoy things like even like we did a photo shoot on, on Monday and it's like, you know, everyone's there and everyone's talking and people are shaking hands and they're laughing over the catering or, you know, having a, a conversation about, I don't know, the price of fish in China or something. But it makes you feel connected to that other person and it, it makes it enjoyable. I think we're not solitary creatures, you know, and and it, it, it's also like getting up and getting out and putting on a nice outfit or doing your hair for a meeting or those kinds of things that make you feel, it, they, they were hard. The lock, lockdown, you know, that 
that was a weird two and a half years, wasn't it? I mean, it's crazy what we went through, really. <laughs> yeah, I actually always acknowledge it. Very rarely, when I try and bring it up on the podcast, people really, really don't want to talk about it. It's so interesting. And I think like, there's a collective kind of PTSD about it. It was such a bizarre time and there's never been an opportunity to process it because as soon as life kicked back off again, we all went back into life and just... Again, you look at my youngest, and I was like, she she spent, a, yeah, the first couple of years of her life inside. What a bizarre thing. Tell me about a, a, a notable mistake or, or a moment that felt very, very challenging in the business, what that looked like and how you overcame it. Look, I think there's been many. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Like there's been so, gosh, we've made so many mistakes. There's been so many learnings. Um I think one of the biggest lessons that we learned really early on when we launched Vita Glow was that we weren't just growing a brand, we were growing a category. And I think as one of the first leading ingestible beauty brands on the market, there we had to do a lot of work to establish the category. There was a lot, and there still is today, you know, like there is still a, a lot of people who sit on the fence about whether or not it works, about whether it's pseudoscience. And so for me, what was most important to my personality type was leading with science and not a wellness movement, you know, really leading with scientific con- credentials and, and, and investing heavily in clinical trials and things like that. But, you know, today, a lot of what we do as a business impacts the category. And this is a responsibility that we we take extremely seriously. And, you know, as for failures, I mean, it's, they're not always negatives, you know, like we always say, we really encourage the team to not be afraid to make mistakes. And then if you're not having a few failures, then you're really not pushing the boundaries enough in terms of what can be done. And so everything that we do in terms of, you know, new product development to marketing campaigns and sort of having that, I don't know, fearlessness is, is the wrong word, but having the guts, I suppose, to try new things and to really push the possibilities of what ingestibles can do. Also, we didn't start with like a product architecture or a strategy. It was, was like two people who started with one idea. We had one product, which at the time was the original marine collagen, very different to what we offer now. And then we've kind of grown from there. And so we've made a lot of mistakes in, in bringing new products to market, especially in the early days, that didn't really fit the mold and those products have all discontinued whereas now it's like it's a two-year development process of an idea and a lot of the products that we um, work on and some of them for like over a year don't we don't actually bring to market because the clinical studies don't stack up or the consumer trials don't stack up and so you lose a lot of time and money on packaging and and, and investments on trials and things like that for the pro- for the product to then not come to market and it's very difficult to get the team on board and see that as not as a failure but actually it's a massive learning so you know maybe if i had in maybe if i'd started again i would have clearer my you know my vision my mission my um what the product architecture was going to look like what the the nate what we thought the business was going to look like but then again we wouldn't be who we are so i think what we did right was we just started and and i think that that's what a lot of people hold back on is procrastinating you know just start you will make mistakes you will fail it is inevitable and it's about how you 
make a comeback from those failures that I think that defines the success that you are to have. It's so amazing, isn't it? Those those moments where you've you've lost sleep in any part of your life, and and then bit by bit you get further away from them, and you're like, oh yeah, that that all made sense. That was all part of it. And ugh, if only you knew on those nights when you're tossing and turning that it really would always be all right. Exactly. <laughs> How far? So you said that sometimes you go pretty far down the line on a product, and then and then pull it. So you 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 know. You're strategizing as if it is going to go to market. You have the products, you have the packaging, it's all ready to go, and then and then you then you decide not to. Is that what you're referencing? Yeah, that happens. Yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> so usually we have we're usually concern led. So like for example, if you look at our advanced repair range, so there's Herology, which is focusing on hair loss. There's Radiance, which is focusing on pigmentation. Clear, which is focusing on acne blemishes. Over. Um, so usually the ballpark issues is it's about two years of product development, two years to bring the product to market, okay? Um, and in between that, there's the concern, then there's searching for the ingredients that would work, then it's working for a manufacturer of putting it together, then it's designing the packaging, then it's, you know, getting the formulations correct, then testing the formulations, which can take a really long time. And then once you've tested the formulations, actually doing clinical trials on the products, and quite often we get to that clinical trials stage, and the clinical trials don't stack up. <laughs> and we have a huge repeat customer rate and so much of the, this, well, pretty much the success that we've had is because our products work and they deliver results and they have really impressive clinical trials behind them. And so we can't really afford to bring products to market that are not going to deliver on that level because then it we lose the credibility of the brand, people don't repurchase. Um, Clear was an interesting product that for acne and, and blemishes and all production. That was three years, and that was a we've done it a couple of times now. A capping cap technology. It's made in the US. It's a so that took longer, but usually it's about a two year process. But we can get as far as you know a year to eighteen months on a product, and then actually not bring it to market. So it can be incredibly disheartening for the team, especially when you've worked so hard and even. Sometimes we've just we've designed the whole con like we've we've even designed you know um, social media pages for products or you know what it's going to look like on the website content we've had copyright we've had our content team actually do all the research we've had re, you know scientists um, our in house scientists you know present and do presentations or for the product not to go to market. So it can feel like an incredible waste of time, but actually it never is a waste of time, and you do get better at processing and processes um, and you do learn from those mistakes. But I, I think the the hard, the really hard ones is when you make silly, like we've done in the past, like we've printed, say a, we've, well, once we printed a collagen, the whole collagen rolls of packaging with, you know, it being green, which at the time was out before our rebrand was the original, but the copy said peach on it and you actually having to destroy <laughs> Like those are really difficult because it's like a simple mistake that no, it's just a human area that no one had picked up, including us. But um, the ones where you're actually putting things to trial and you're doing the work, I feel like that work is not lost. You know, like you learn so much as a team and you can apply all of those learnings to the next product that you do. So, yeah, by the time we've launched a product and we're pushing it out on socials and we're doing global events and all of these kinds of things, I'm almost like, oh, I'm so far into the next product. I can't, like it's amazing that we launched Herology in April, for example. But for me, like it felt like we'd been working on that product for two years, um, which happens every time. Which is also 
very interesting and and it's the nature of ingestibles you know kieran always says if you can make it in ingestibles you can make it in everything because it's you've got to take it so there's so many regulations the the you know the nutritional panel information the regs of getting it into all different countries because different countries have different regulations of what they accept in terms of an ingestible different retailers have different regulations of what they accept you've got to be very careful on the type of claims that you make for the product because they can differ from region to region as well country to country um even you know so it's it's a very complicated person like and there's so many people involved in each step there's quality there's regular there's regs there's innovation there's technical you know like there's so many pieces there's manufacturing the suppliers there's and and then obviously with the pandemic you know the cost of logistics because our products are made everywhere we've got products made in the united states in australia in germany in france in switzerland um, finding the right manufacturer that is going to be the best at offering this particular either delivery method, so whether it's like a powder mechanism, a pill, because all actives and molecules have different um, bioavailability and how they're absorbed into the body. So they need to be, like, for example, you know, marine collagen being a really low molecule weight collagen peptide powder is the best delivery method for that form of an ingestible beauty product. But a product like Radiance has a very sensitive active called Skinax2 that needs to be protected by the small intestine. So that needs to be in a, you know, vegan cellulose capsule to protect um, the active from, you know, stomach acidity and things like that. So it's a very, there's, it's so complex what we're doing um, and it's so technical and there's so many people involved in bringing a product to market, so many different people that it touches. So, um and even things like budgets, you know, they like, uh, you know, uh, freight went up 300% post-pandemic. Um, so it's a real minefield and I feel like Vita Glow is a well-oiled machine but there is, you know, challenges in, in everything that we do and when you've been working on something for so long and then it doesn't stack up or it doesn't go to market, it, it, it can be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to have to hold in your head. So by sounds of it, how long in advance are you work what's the biggest time frame that you've got going on at the moment? Would be something in the pipeline. A couple of years. Probably three three years is the biggest. Wow. Again, I think it's really important to talk about these things because we're in such a fast moving culture that it's very now, 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 but but so often the things that you see are coming through in any business or in any any person's life to be honest is so long in the making it's it it really is and 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 it's um it can be overwhelming when you stop and like when I say it out loud to you then I was like gosh I haven't said that out loud in a long time but it's so true you know and it must be um challenging to try and hold both things in your head the the three year plan and also the uh, Slightly different. Well, no, and, and the what's on the to do list now plan. I, I mean, there must feel sometimes a, a wrangle between the two. It does, and then also there's always unexpected delays. It's a bit like when you're renovating your house, and people always say, on average, you go over by twenty percent. You know, in budget, it's kind of the same with timelines. So, I think you know you get really caught up on a timeline. Like we're going to launch this product in November. 
nine times out of 10, that doesn't happen and the product gets launched in April. Um, and that's a very frustrating thing to be able to plan for when you're doing marketing plans, budget planning, sales planning, when you're pitching to retailers and you're telling retailers that are so excited about this product that they're going to have it on the shelves in May, but actually it doesn't launch till October. There's so many different things that can delay and 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 they and they can be really disheartening but you you have to learn to go with the flow of it and not give up if you really believe in what you're doing and if you really believe in the product that you are going to be bringing to market so it's a very challenging thing and it's very easy for people to get disheartened i guess and and give up and and feel like especially in those early days um yeah, thinking bigger picture all the time because you can get stuck on detail and micromanaging and it's very complex. Yeah, and and I think a lot of what you're saying relates. Number one, you, you need to have deadlines, like ideas of when things will be done. But so often if you're the one who's put those deadlines in, you have to allow yourself to, to flex them because, yeah, it's like it was meant to be March. It was meant to be March. Well, you you know, it wasn't and sometimes that's okay yeah it's it's yeah it's so funny it's such a learning to um I think it's a Japanese expression hold things like a small bird so you have to hold them firmly enough to keep them safe but not so that you crush them I've absolutely butchered it there's a much more poetic way of saying it okay a couple of questions (laughs) as we wind towards the end number one if you could have owned any other business or brand who or what would it be you know what is the brand you look at with envy if that's the right word I look that's really hard to say because there's so many incredible brands on the market both in beauty and health and beyond and I that I truly admire and I don't think that I could say that I wish that they were mine because I know firsthand (laughs) how deeply personal it is to build a brand from scratch and each brand is so unique to their founders and have such unique stories but I will say that there are so many areas of women's health and beauty that I am really passionate about and also I'm inspired for more brands in the future um to build because I really do think that in women's you know health and 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 research women are still so underserved um and under researched you know I think I read something like one percent of women's health outside of oncology is actually studied on women um and and it's things like you know for example us launching women's health and you know having a prenatal that really came from my own experience with taking prenatals over four children um so I can't say that there's a brand that I wish I owned but I think that there's a lot more that I that I think I can do in this space of women's health and and beauty um and and often I am inspired by why other brands are doing it sorry that's not really answering the question (laughs) no I think it's I think it's um probably a very healthy answer to be honest that you and yeah, it's really important not to um, go around thinking the grass is always greener or some, you know, we can all look at other people's lives and go, oh, I wish I had part of that. But if you're aware of the reality behind that life. The grass is greener where you water it. I mean, that's the reality, you know? Yeah, it's so true. There's um, an expert in the UK called Lucy Sheridan, who's a, a comparison, um, comparison is her thing. And she said, if you're constantly looking at, 
a specific thing in someone, you know, oh, I wish I was going on that holiday or I wish that that all that is, is, is the signal to yourself on the bits of your life that you need to alter. You know, there's no point just. And it's a thief of joy, you know, like that saying, like comparison is a thief of thief of joy. It really is. Um, and, and that's why I think for brands, businesses, it's so important. I, I feel like I sound like a bit of a broken record on this, but it is so important to stay in your lane. Um, and that's something that it's very easy to get caught up on, like what your competitors are doing and what they're doing and looking to the left and right to you all the time. And I take that, I mean, my team obviously have to be aware of what the competitors are doing and how we're moving in the space. But personally, I choose to not follow any other competitive brands on social media. I don't follow their founders. I don't read about them. And I, I just want to stay really focused because if you are imitating, you're not innovating. And in order to be truly first to market or, or truly, um, you know, pioneers in the space and really lead, you have to be first and you can't be afraid to be first because when, you, when you're a first mover in the space, then no, you know, you're not copying what anyone else is doing. It's okay for other people to copy you, but if you are truly leading, then you're really innovating. So I really want to stay in that innovation mindset all the time, not, you know, um, imitating. And, and, and when you are comparing yourself so often, you then start to, you know, double second guess yourself and think, oh, but they did it like that. And should our homepage be like that? And they have this drop down thing that we don't have, or, you know, this is the ingredient that they brought and it's a slippery slope and you lose your focus and you have to be really focused. Like, and that's taken time. That hasn't always been the case from the beginning, but now it's like, what are we wanting to do? Like our goal is to be world leaders in ingestible beauty. That's a very ambitious goal, but honestly, I think we can achieve it, but we're only going to do that with the right people, human resources team, and by really, truly innovating. And that's why so many of our product ideas were like, wouldn't it be amazing to cure this? It wouldn't be amazing to do that. And actually you can't, or, you know, like, no, that doesn't really work or that hasn't really worked. And so you, but at least you're trying, at least you're giving it a go and you're, you're, you're being truly, in, you know, innovative. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for comparison. I will look her up. I haven't heard of her, but she sounds amazing. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where you're like, oh, yeah, comparison's, you know, not a big deal. And then the more you kind of sit with the idea of it and what it means and, um, yeah, and how it can just chip away at your life. But she also says one thing that always sticks with me is that you will be someone else's comparison trigger. And I was like, whoa, that's like a real head spin for me to <laughs> everybody is you know yeah. somebody will be looking at your life and thinking that it's x y and z and and so it's really important as you say just to try and keep it to stick in your own lane and 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 be focused on the, the things that are within your your world yeah two final questions number one where can people find Vida glow give them give a, a a big pitch maybe to your favorite product or or one that if i was listening to this and thinking oh i'm going to go and check out that brand. Okay, so you can uh, in the UK, you can obviously buy it online at vitaglow.com. You can get it at Harrods, Selfridges, John Bell Croydon, John Lewis, um, Harvey Nicks. Uh, we've got great distribution in, in the UK, so you can pretty much find us everywhere. Um, and the, the product, my favorite product, okay, so don't think about my favorite product. When you're new to ingestible beauty, 
Think about what is your concern and and start with one thing. Don't buy four of the products and think that you're going to use them all at the same time because you won't. The only way to get results from ingestible beauty is by being consistent. Consistency is key to results. You can't dibble-dabble. Take one on a Monday and one on a Friday and expect to see results. But I can guarantee that if you take it every day in a really short time frame, you know, 30 to 90 days, you will see unbelievable results. So think about if hair loss is your concern, then I would start with hairology. If pigmentation, you know, uneven skin tone, dark circles under the eyes are your concern, then I would recommend starting Radiance. I mean, the results from the clinical trials in race in of Radiance, which we chose to do in Mauritius, where women have more olive and hyperpigmented skin, are just it's insane. Like go onto our, um, in our website, go onto our Instagram page, look at the before and afters. You know, if clear acne or excess oil production is a concern, then I would start with clear. If you want an overall, I mean, a supplement that I think everybody should take is collagen. Um, I consider that the foundation and the base. Just look for a product that has got a low molecule weight. Where is it sourced? Is it sustainable? What is the serving size? What type of fish do they use? Um, how is it palatable? Super important because if it's not palatable, you won't drink it. It won't be sustainable in your beauty routine. And whatever that choice is that you decide to make, Antidiox is an amazing product. It's an effervescent powder. It tastes like a sherbet. You pour it onto your tongue and it melts into the blood vessels of the tongue and penetrates the bloodstream within about 15 minutes. There's a really potent multivitamin, antioxidant and mineral for hair, skin and nails if you're vegan and you're all vegetarian and you can't take um, collagen, for example. So pick one product based on what your concern is and stick to that product. And stick to it for, it's that you, they say it takes 21 days to create a habit. Stick to it for a month. And usually what people do is that they buy one the first month and by the second month they buy two. But just start with one because if you try and do everything, it becomes too hard basket and then you're not consistency. And again, consistency is key. That was a great pitch. I completely, you know, you completely <laughs> got, but it's so true, the consistency with everything and no dibble dabbling. I'm so bad at dibble dabbling with all, with all bits of my life and, yeah, and then you're like, why aren't I seeing results? Well, because you're doing it one every four days. Yeah, well, I started following you on Instagram and I'm like, I love this turning 41 weightlifting vibe that you're putting out there. And I'm like, it's like going to the gym. You can't go to the gym once a month and expect to see results, you know? Or it's like when people, like it's that all or nothing mentality like that people have, like oh, I'm, I'm bad at this. Like, for example, if I have a piece of cake and then I think, oh, well, I've ruined the whole day now, so I'll just eat the whole cake. And then it, that's like saying if you smash your iPhone, you've got one little crack in it, you're like, oh, well, bugger it. I'll just keep smashing it until it's completely broken. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like we are so caught up in that. And then we're like, we'll start tomorrow, start tomorrow. No, just start today. And if you miss one sachet of collagen or if you miss something, it's not a big deal, um, but start today and just be as consistent as you can and actually with ingestible beauty and especially with Vita Glow products you get results in a really short time frame so um, you know it's it's really worth giving it a go but pick one thing. Yeah I also think that's really good advice you can get bamboozled can't you and then you don't really know what it is that is giving you the results if you're throwing a few things in the mix. My final question if you could have an honest conversation with one person who would it be and what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> right now in this global climate that we're in gosh I wish I could sit a few people down I think my daughter probably is the person that I want to have the most honest conversations with um, and I really want to I really want to instill in her 
and 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 I mean to my sons as well, but I, I feel particularly passionate about this with my daughter, a sense of self-worth and self-belief and 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 especially as our children grow in such a digital world of you know, and, and I'm guilty of this because my social media is light and fluffy and I'm not one of those people that, you know, when shit hits the fan, I don't get on stories and talk to and cry on camera and talk to my community because I just don't, doesn't re- resonate with me. But I really want my daughter to feel validated in herself and have a sense of self-worth and a self and, and confidence in herself and not feel like she's getting that from other people and other people's realities and feeling like she can't do things because she doesn't know if she's good enough or if she's got the worth to do it you know valuing who she accepts in her life from a relationship how she accepts her employers will speak to her how she accepts that her peers will speak to her and how she allows herself to be treated um, by this world is something that I'm trying to do instill in all of my children that sense of belief because so much of that like confidence is actually fake confidence you know it's like when you really believe that you can do it and you really value yourself enough to be able to build a network around you of people that also value that in yourself um because i do think that women suffer from that more that in in that lack of self-worth you know and myself included for for, for many years um and that's taken a long time and i would love her to 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 feel that from a from a much younger age than what I did. I so relate to that. In fact, with my daughter, I see that she has it and I've actually, just my big aim is to try and protect it. It's like, oh, if you can go into the world yeah. as you are now without all the edges taken off you, it'll be wonderful. But it feels like such a precious um, thing to hold on to, doesn't it? It does. It really does. And it's a very different world that our children are growing in, in than what we did, you know. Yeah, wildly, wildly different. Well, good luck. Good luck in the next couple of crucial Thank weeks you. as you um, bring another Thank human you. into the world and your family becomes six. <laughs>